0: Today is, as you have gathered, Mission Sunday, and uh, our focus will be on missions worldwide, missions locally, and you as a missionary personally, which is, of course, what you are. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a missionary, end of story. Here is Dave Pystrup, who's the chairman of our missions team, and we're very blessed to have you, Dave, and grateful for what you and the team do, and they're going to lead us through our worship this morning.
1: Thank you, Anton. As Anton mentioned, I'm just actually part of a committee. Uh, I'd le- like to at least mention the other members, some of them, most you're actually going to hear from today. Um, we have Diane Becker, who's going to be speaking, Sherry Holshausen, Michael Kurtzborn, Andrew Moulton, Nancy Pratt, Catherine Shaw, and, of course, me. Um, we all have very different you know there's many versions of the bible but matthew 20:28 20, says the son of god did not come to be served but to serve and i'm pretty sure not one of those versions has parentheses afterwards it says for just one day our goal is to inform inspire invite and help you get involved in missions year round And that may be involving trips, it may be involving large groups, small groups, maybe a weekend thing, it may be something you do every day for 10 minutes where you stop by and say hi to one of your elder neighbors. Um, But our job is to help you find those opportunities. We're all on the commission, or the committee, because we're very passionate. And something that we did, you know, stirred that passion, and we want to share that And we want everyone else to feel that if they haven't already and to get involved. And we want to try and make it easier for everyone to get involved. Today, we have three members of our committee that are gonna talk a little bit about their experience, um, their experiences that have led them to wanna be part of the committee and the passion that they have for this that they want to get everyone else involved. So first we'll have Diane Becker and then Mike Kurtzborn, And then Catherine Shaw, all three sharing experiences that I hope you'll pay attention to and feel their passion as much as they have and as much as they keep reaching out to gain more and give more. Please welcome Diane first.
0: My background is in television news and documentaries. Fifteen years ago, I left my job at uh, Channel 4 and started doing videos and documentaries for missionaries, for mission organizations, nonprofits. Um, It has been an adventure, and it's also been a real education. Um, Usually, if someone asks about a trip, I don't always have words to explain it, but I have a video to show you. Um, this morning we have a five minute video. This is about a tribe in Papua, Indonesia. That's uh, north of Australia, kind of the other half of the island of Papua New Guinea. Um, the Kimyall live a very simple life. They live in wood and thatch huts. Um, they raise pigs. They garden sweet potatoes. In the mid-60s, missionaries came with a new message. Many of the tribes in this area have become Christians In many villages, everyone goes to church. I was there for a very special event. It was the dedication of the Kimyol New Testament. A couple of days before the big official dedication, the Bibles were going to be flown in to the village. A pastor came to our house the night before and he said, in John 1.1 it says, in the beginning was the word And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is coming to our village tomorrow. (laughs) And it was with that excitement the Bibles arrived.
1: Nuri gerencah amalatlam siang wena, memeru pukul wena out kemilam. Do wena anjir anir lem la, bapak nimbah bi endulam. Puk memeru kumni amalatlam siang wena, awi nimbah bi kacpo. Seni lima po, sumni di wena nuri bunisin mati sampai wahyu. I think I'm good. I
2: ingyang upni yon na na naiyong kiblam nunaboa
0: na yao kombo neri masaragap naiyong mapon disenap diseniyong sa ingingulam upni na ba ingingulam nyo ko neri yun na kikiplawa
2: pi upertayan lama aparseng na ta lang ylang nyo na nika na kiki pesaro pesinding kayo
0: I am not going to be able to get I am not going to am not to be able to get a job. I am not going a job. I am not going to be able to get a job. I am
1: Nous disons que nous avons pu hmm, nous faire des choses. De nous disons que en... nous avons pu nous faire des choses. Nous disons que nous avons pu nous faire des choses. Nous disons que nous avons pu nous faire des choses. Nous disons que nous avons pu nous faire des choses. Nous disons que nous avons pu nous faire des choses.
0: Anis, many different versions of the Bible do we have to treasure the word of God like the Camel. I think one of my favorite discoveries is how much I have to learn from others, how much an isolated tribe has to teach me, <clears throat> has to teach the rest of the world. We are called to serve others. But how much can we learn from them? I can paint a pretty rosy picture of my exotic travels. But just like your life, there are mountaintops and there are valleys. And even sometimes there's a pit. And through it all, I cling to God. And I look for what he might have for me. What he might have for me to learn. If you're open to learning and willing to cling to God, I highly recommend reaching out in some way. Find an organization and invest yourself in it. Find a missionary and engage in their work. Build a relationship with someone who needs you and then find what you have to learn from them. If you need ideas, come to the mission team. We will be glad to brainstorm with you. 2028, Mission St. Louis, these are great events, but it's not just about one weekend out of the year. It's an opportunity to find out about local ministries and where you might be able to plug in. Look for ways to use your gifts, look for ways to build relationships, look for ways that God might use you. Look for opportunities to learn. Thank you. We serve an amazing God.
3: Hi, my name is Mike Kurtzborn. I'm a member here at Green Tree, and I volunteer with Student Ministries. I'm also a member of the Missions Committee. I'm here to tell you guys a little bit about my faith journey so far. I've only been a Christian for a little over three years now, and my walk with the Lord has all began with mission work, so it's very near to my heart. In the summer of 2011, not yet a Christian, I went to Guatemala with Green Tree Student Ministries. While there, we worked at an orphanage for the physically and mentally handicapped, learning how to show unconditional love to those who could not reciprocate. Halfway through the trip, we visited what was called the dump, and it's literally tons of trash and sewage that is filling a valley where vultures swarm and fill the air. People work, live, and raise families in this dump. My heart melted that night. Searching for answers, I read God's word and realized how loved and blessed I am and how Jesus has been pursuing me in my heart all along. I accepted him into my life that night as an 18-year-old kid. Now fast forward a little bit. The following summer, I went back to Guatemala with Green Tree, and it was a different trip, but in a good way. I was able to develop as a leader since I had already gone, and God helped me grow in that arena. Fast forward one last time to a few months ago. Engaged to my now wife, Abby, We were excited for Africa. It was her second trip and my first. We went with a group called Generation Next out of Branson. They're an awesome mission-minded group that's been doing great things in Kenya for over five years now. Abby and I worked to raise money uh, by doing generous, uh, or sorry, we received a generous scholarship from the missions committee. But We also had a yard sale and designed our own t-shirts and basically did all we could to scrape up the funding to go. We got our plane tickets bought and had all our shots and luggage taken care of, and it was time to go. 25 days in Kenya, building an orphanage, here we come. And we were off to a slow start, a 32-hour super-duper slow start. And it was the longest plane rides of my life. We landed in Kenya and found out a few of our suitcases were lost during flight connections. We'd ended up getting them for four days. They just so happened to be Abby and I's. Our group stayed the night in Nairobi, and the following morning began our five-hour drive to the town of Kabwezi. If you're wondering where that is in relation to Nairobi, here it is on the map. Once in Kaboyzi, we were ready to serve. We went to town to get supplies and handed out clothing and crocks and sweets to the little kids who called us Mzungus, which is Swahili for white people. We did this almost every day. Our first four or five days, we spent at a place about 15 minutes from town called Gail's House, which was currently a boy's home and was where we were planning to open the orphanage. We cleaned up the messes and cobwebs and painted the walls and put together bunk beds and even had a big container being shipped to us. That carried thousands of dollars worth of items, such as dressers, clothing, toys, school supplies, and books. We were busy. After the first week flew by, we began to transition into a new stage in our trip, where things were slowing down, and we were packing up our things to stay in Gail's house. So as I told you, Gail's house was a building that was used as a boys' home, and was owned by a group whose name I will not disclose. This same group was said to be donating the house to Generation Next, and making it an orphanage for children any age up to five. There was a downstairs where the boys were currently living, and an upstairs where our entire group was to stay. We moved all of our stuff into this space to stay for the last week and a half of the trip. It was a struggle. Our entire group was trying to use one bathroom, and the water system was solar powered and didn't work half the time. Water ran out constantly, and it was like pulling teeth trying to get the local water businesses to fill it. The house was crammed and smelly after only a couple of days, and the container full of supplies that we were waiting on was nowhere to be found. We received a call a day or two later saying that Customs wanted another $500 to inspect the container for us. The money was sent, Now only to wait. The next day we received a call saying that Customs was holding our container and wanted yet another $6,000 for taxes. We didn't have it. There was no way. We had to tell them to just keep it. Shortly after we received more bad news... We found out that the organization that currently owned Gale's House was not actually going to end their boys' school. It did not entirely plan to give the orphanage to Generation Next. We also found out that they were planning an abortion clinic for all the people in Caboise. We were outraged and had nowhere else to go. And to make matters worse, we ran out of items and supplies to give the children, and there wasn't much to do but wait on the container. Luckily, the safari was coming, and all but six of us went. Abby and I stayed back with a few others, and the following day... We all started getting sick one after the other. We had gotten parasites from eating something. Uh, I think it was raw cabbage. Uh, And then a day or two later, I also got malaria along with one other girl. I think it was at this point in the trip that I truly began to question God and what my purpose was for being in Kenya. I was angry. All the time and money I had been spending for us to go on this trip for it to be possible. All for us to be sitting there with nothing to do. No orphanage, no container, Nothing to give to the children, horrible fever, bad headache, malaria, parasites, bad food, very little water, no bathing, no clean clothes, feeling too sick to move. I had a wedding to be planning, and here I was in Africa feeling like the living dead. Our group got together and talked about everything that had been happening, and we all began to share our frustrations with the situation and tried coming to some reasonable conclusion of what to do. We decided all we could do was wait. There were a total of about four days where things spiraled from bad to worse. To, is this even possible right now? Then all of a sudden, God was ready to give us the next steps. We went to the local doctor in town and began to immediately feel better after we received treatment for our ailments. We discussed the orphanage situation and how it could be a great opportunity to wait on God's timing and possibly build their own and give employment to some of the locals who need it most. We received a call again, this time with a better outlook. After thinking the container was all but gone, it was on its way. Not only was it on its way, but it was coming tomorrow. We received another call. The $500 that we paid for taxes for the container uh, to be inspected did not successfully go through, and we got that money back also. We spent the last eight or so days on the trip giving out soccer balls to children, hygiene kits to the locals, teaching them about hygiene, teaching them gospel songs, handing out Bible tracts, visiting schools, going to the maternity ward at a hospital and loving on the children and giving bags to the mothers with all kinds of items for them and their newborn. We got to see and be a part of the Caboise culture and get to know some of the locals very well. There are many things on this trip reminded me of, but one struck out to me. God is always in control, and we always need him to have joy. Their mission work is something that we're all called to do. In the New Testament, Jesus is spreading his ministry and proclaiming the gospel, going from town to town, Healing the afflicted. He sees their helplessness and has nothing but compassion on them, and says to his disciples in Matthew 9, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. In the end of the day, it all comes down to where Jesus ranks in our lives. Do we love him enough to go out and be the salt of the earth and light of the world? Jesus says it's not optional. I know for me, just like Pastor Matt Brown said last week, it's easier to tell people about a movie I saw last week or a new song on the radio than to proclaim the gospel. I even try to justify the excuses I make up not to do mission work. But really, we might think we don't have time. What do we have time for? We might think we don't have the funds to go on a mission trip. What do we have money for? 10% of all Green Tree tithes goes towards missions. This is huge. The missions committee gives scholarships to those going on a trip. As a member of the mission committee, we want you to go on these trips and utilize the opportunity and make it happen. Serve St. Louis is coming up in just two weeks on October 11th. It's not even one full day of mission work, and it's right here in St. Louis. Mission work is not about a length of time or location. Everyone needs the gospel, and we're all called as Christians to be the hands and feet. Let's start moving. Thank you.
2: Good morning, everybody. My name is Catherine Shaw. Bill Hybels wrote a book, and it's called Holy Discontent. And in it he says, what wrecks the heart of someone who loves God is often the very thing God wants to use to fire them up to do something that under normal circumstances they would never attempt to do. And it all starts with you finding your holy discontent. It begins with you determining what it is that you just can't stand. The homeless, the poor, the addicted, the single moms and their children. This is my holy discontent. My journey started when I worked at a construction company downtown, and during my orientation, they told me over and over again that when I leave the parking lot, always make a left. Do not go to the right, because if I went to the right, That's where the homeless lived. That's where the addicted lived. It wasn't safe. So I was heading home one evening. The weather was horrible. There was this huge storm coming in. There were tornado warnings. And I saw a young man and a woman that were on the dock of an abandoned warehouse, and they were just sitting on their sleeping bags. I called my dad to ask his advice and to ask what we could do that night. And dad said he was not coming downtown to find two homeless on a dark and stormy night. Shortly thereafter, I had a message from my dad, and he had gone downtown, and he had taken the couple a tent. He had taken the time to put it up with them. He brought them a radio so they could be aware of the weather, and he brought them blankets. I'm sure my dad thought I handled it. I've kept my daughter safe, and of course, she will not go back. We both thought that was that. Done. Good deed. Out of sight, out of mind but this couple wasn't out of sight and they weren't out of my mind. I became obsessed with watching them. I would leave at lunch and just drive around the block and just park a couple blocks away where I could see them and could see what they were doing. They had no electricity. They had no ice. Flies would just swarm over them as they slept. There was no bathroom. The heat was oppressive. And there were pools of water that were just filled with swarming mosquitoes. Every Monday, Before they stirred, I would drop off a bag of groceries to them from Aldi's, and the the bag would always include saltine crackers, a loaf of white bread, peanut butter and jelly, American cheese, bologna, and a package of cookies. I would give these people their $10 bag of Aldi's food, and they didn't have a choice, whether it was wheat or white, whether they liked eggs or cheese. Could they ever get tired of bologna and peanut butter and jelly? Do you know how often I took toothpaste and toothbrushes to people who didn't have any teeth, and I never stopped to look? More good deeds, job well done, perhaps. But then one afternoon, the same young girl was waving at me frantically from the dock and yelling for me to stop. I pulled over, and she asked if I had been the one who was leaving the food. She wanted to thank me. That was all. She just wanted to say thanks. Thanks. I drove away that day smiling, happy. In the few words we shared, I transformed from a good deed done person to a person who wanted to build a relationship. And this is the time when God started moving into the story. Through the time I spent with homeless, God slowly started revealing that what I had previously believed to be true about the homeless was not true, that homeless are dangerous, the people I've met have been more concerned about my safety and the safety of my daughter than I have been. That they only want money, but for a few exceptions, they want time with you, they don't want your money. That they are not a smart group of people. The homeless are cooks, they are carpenters, they are artists, they're musicians, they're engineers. They have both street smarts and they have common sense. They have to have these things in order to survive. I witnessed a camp going from being a camp where people were just laying on the ground, sleeping there, to having tents for every family. The next year, they were building very small one-room houses from donated plywood. I think they may have started the tiny house movement. It's a surprise what they could build with so few supplies. That the homeless only say, God bless you, to pull on your heartstrings. I've seen more Bibles in tents with worn pages and in warehouses than I have in homes. Their faith in God gets them through the day. Faith gives them hope. Often it's the only relationship they have is the relationship they have with God. That an alcoholic or an addict cannot change. Addiction is an illness, and it's an illness which can be overcome by faith in God. That the homeless are just plain crazy. There are many homeless who suffer from mental addiction, and men, I mean mental illness, and mental illness strikes families regarding of where they live. I was ignorant, I was misinformed, as I lacked knowledge, and I was judgmental. I saw myself as superior to these people. I was better than they were, these souls who were created by God as my brothers and sisters. A desire grew in me to hear their stories, how they got where they were. I wanted to hear about their past, about their families, about their children. Did they still have relationships with their children? Were they connected with them? I wanted to see how they lived. How would we survive if we lived in a tent and it rained for four days? How would we survive an ice storm that collapses our tent in the middle of the night? How do we sleep the St. Louis summer nights? At times, God asked me to do things I did not want to do. I did not want to do laundry. The homeless burn their laundry about every three weeks. They have no way of washing it. I was asked to do laundry. Wet, filthy, stinking beyond belief, laundry. This was the first of many areas where I pushed back on God. I could see the need, but I was not going to go there. I wanted no chance of bugs in my house. A mouse hiding in a pocket just freaked me out. And it was years before I finally said okay to God and put the first bag of laundry in the back of my car. Laundry soon became a large part of serving. In the beginning, I had rules. No rides in my car, no cigarettes, and no hugs. Slowly, one by one, God replaced each rule with grace. Grace that allowed depth between me and the other person. Grace that allowed rides in my car, cigarettes every now and then, and often many hugs. I wanted to photograph the people I met. I wanted them to see themselves as I had come to know them. Strong men, beautiful women, good and loyal friends and partners. They're children of God, and God adores them. I thank God for opening my eyes and heart and allowing me to see these people as they were created, as he had created them. The immediate needs of the poor are the needs that I meet first food and water, and laughter. Then, does a person have a Social Security card? Do they have their birth certificate? Do they have a Missouri ID card? It's these pieces of paper that allow the person, if able, to take their next step. They also answer questions that have haunted these people their entire lives. Who was my dad? Is his name on my birth certificate? Did I ever know him? One of the sweetest stories is how my dad entered in and filled the role of Poppy pop, dad, to so many men and women who never had a father. One night it was snowing really hard, and dad and I both got worried. We drove downtown in a snowstorm and pulled into a camp with warm barbecue sandwiches my mom had put together. I'll never forget the faces popping out of their tents or the thrill of that time with my dad. 2012, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Those around me suggested that I let go of the homeless for a period. I felt such a loss. Not only was I diagnosed with cancer, but I needed to step back from what had become so important to me. What I learned was that sometimes God just calls me to rest. He doesn't call me to quit. This time of rest allowed me time to think, to plan, to see where the homeless communities were at this time, to readjust for what's needed today, and to listen to God regarding where he wants me. Last year, Christmas for three single moms and their kids seemed doable. In the end, through much help from you all, Christmas was provided for 20 single moms and their families. Almost as soon as I would get a request to add a family, a new envelope of gift cards would come. Toys would fill my carport, blankets, pillows, gift baskets for moms, scarves that had been handmade, One donation from a single mom was a check. It was for $50 from her company signed over to me. It was a single mom's yearly bonus. She was giving her check to another single mom in need. Along with material gifts, we give the gift of dignity, both to the moms and to their kids. We prepare early so the moms can relax into the holiday, so they don't put Christmas on a credit card they'll never be able to pay off. We want them to know the financial pressure of Christmas is off of them. We celebrate the spirit of the holiday with them, not just Christmas morning. People ask me what organization I am connected with and what church I'm with. So many homeless, so many of the addicted and poor have been wounded by churches and they've been abandoned by Christians. For me it's really important to just show up, to always learn their names to care for them in that moment, and to always come back. God put it on my heart to have no expectations of the people I meet, to have no agenda, and especially not to enter in with a plan to change them. God calls me clearly only to love them. I am summoned to serve and to be present in relationships with people in need. Sometimes I feel as if I don't have enough time I certainly don't have enough money. I don't have enough emotional resources to care for these people. My life is too full. I get really tired. Yet what I hear over and over and over is that he provides for me. The words that create the foundation of the missions at Green Tree are inform, inspire, invite, and involve. I originally thought that I would do these things, that it would be me doing these things. What God taught me is that it's these people who inform, inspire, invite, and involve me and my family. They teach me. Their lives inspire me. They've invited me into their hearts and into their homes, whether that home is a sleeping bag under a bridge or whether it's their tent. I started out determined to earn their respect, to earn their retrust, and in the end they earned mine. There's a short passage in 1st Timothy that says, "Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and to be willing to share."
0: Let us all pray together.